Today's scripture reading comes from Luke 11, 1 through 13. I would love for you to be able to follow along uh, in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, these ushers are walking down the aisles. Feel free to flag one down and ask for a Bible. Uh, If you don't have a Bible at home, please feel free to take it as our gift to you today. Um, Again, we are in Luke 11, 1 through 13. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, my, say Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot give you up, get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will it give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much uh, that we can come to you in prayer, and we just pray that you open our hearts to hear this message, this invitation uh, to come to you this morning uh, with our needs. Um, I just pray that you, um, you allow us to hear it, you allow us to uh, just experience the wisdom of this passage. We pray for our children as they go to, go to Sunday school today, God, that you open their hearts, that you teach them, that you give wisdom to their teachers today, um, and that, uh, yeah, we just, we pray that this time may be wholly devoted to you, God. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. It's good to be uh, with you all, and... Um, in a familiar yet unfamiliar place. <laughs> well, last week, uh, Josh, Pastor Josh, closed out our study of James with a, a clarion call to us uh, to be a community that prays, a community of prayer. That is our first response to every situation ought not to be run in circles, scream and shout, but get down on your knees and pray. I think we know that, but to emphasize that we, our first response, whether we're joyful or we're mourning, whether we're sick or we're healthy, um, whether we're happy or sad, when things are going good, when things are going crazy, prayer ought to be our initial response. You see, prayer is is central to God's purpose. Therefore, prayer is essential and central to God's 
community, His church, the people of God. Isaiah tells us that God describes His house by saying, my house is what? You've read it. My house is a house of prayer. And Jesus, when He came, emphasized this point with a whip and overturning the hypocrisy of worship that was going on in His house. And as Josh was preaching, I had the sense that uh, we should linger just a bit longer on prayer. I know we all um, realize we need to pray. I want to encourage you, and I trust that the Word this morning would stimulate and fire your hearts to pray more. And so uh, we're going to look at Luke chapter 11. In this passage, Jesus is responding to a request by His disciples, Lord, teach us to pray. They were intrigued, apparently, by what they saw as Jesus came back from prayer and thought, we need to learn how to do that. And uh, I hope that's your ambition this morning as well. So Jesus responds to that request by giving them a, a prayer and a parable and then an explanation. And He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. The first thing He does is teach His disciples that prayer is God-centered, not me-centered. Prayer is God-centered, not me-centered. The content of our prayer should have as its focus that God's name would be made holy in the world. That God's name would be hallowed. That His kingdom would be established on the earth. The accomplishment of God's invincible purpose is something we ought to pray for. Something we ought to be engaged in praying about the coming of His kingdom, the working out of His will on the earth are matters for prayer. God has somehow linked our prayers. And when I think about that, I think how puny my prayers are sometimes. He's linked our prayers with the accomplishment of His great purpose and His purposes in the earth. So that prayer becomes the means through which God's will is accomplished. I don't think we can hear that too many times. (laughs) Prayer becomes the means through which God's purpose is accomplished. Um, Look with me in the book of Revelation chapter 5. I just want to... give you a little glimpse into the workings of prayer um, on the earth. Revelation chapter 5, verse 8 says this. He's describing a scene that is taking place in heaven around the throne. And he says, And when He, that is the Lamb, had taken the book the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each, having, each one having, a, uh, having each one a harp and golden bowls full of incense, 
And this is the sentence that, that grabbed me. Which are the prayers of the saints? He's got a golden bowl full of incense. Which are the prayers of the saints? What catches my attention are these golden bowls full of incense. And then flip over to chapter 8 real quick. We see something that happens with these prayers. All right? Chapter 8, verses 1, starting with verse 1. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm staggered by the implications of this scene. And what staggers me is that the prayers of the saints are integral to what God is doing on the earth. You know, there, uh, there's a, there's a um, professor of philosophy at Boston College and King's College. His name is Peter Kreft. And he wrote this, I strongly suspect that if we saw all the difference, even the tiniest of our prayers make, and all the peoples, those little prayers were destined to affect. And all the consequences of those prayers down through the centuries. Let that lay on your mind for a moment. We would be so paralyzed with awe at the power of prayer that we'd be unable to get up off our knees the rest of our lives. I think, I think he saw something about the nature and the power of prayer. You know, the silence in heaven indicates that something was about to transpire. Silence in heaven is not normal. Okay? You've got the 24, uh, the four living creatures and, and all the angels uh, whose job it is to sing God's praise nonstop, 24-7. Silent. All of a sudden, there's just profound silence in heaven before this spectacle. And then one angel comes to stand at the altar of God holding uh, an incense burner. And the Bible records that much incense was given to him. And it's clear that this is different than the incense of the saints or the prayers of the saints. Because he adds this incense to those prayers. Did you catch that? I don't know for sure, but it seems to me that that incense has to do with the prayers of Jesus in the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that we don't know how to pray as we ought to pray, but the Spirit Himself what intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus ever lives 
to make intercession for us. So we're not the only ones praying. But you notice that incense gets added to the prayers of the saints and the smoke of the incense and the prayers of the saints are offered to God as a sacrifice. And the angel takes those prayers, puts it in the, uh, <clears throat> adds a little fire from the altar, and he throws it to the earth and things start happening. What, a, what an awesome picture of the nature and power of prayer. It's clear that prayer is central to the purposes of God. And then Jesus says, Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive, forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. We pray, Father, hallow your name on the earth. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And then he moves into give us each day our daily bread. We pray for our daily needs in the context of wanting to see God's name made holy, made great in the earth. We pray for our needs in the context of seeing His will accomplished on earth. Seeing His kingdom come on earth. We pray for our keeping our accounts short, forgiving and receiving forgiveness for the sake of His name and His kingdom. We pray for His power and His grace to keep us away from anything that would steal our affections, that would, that would dilute our ambitions for Him. And keep us away from things that would cause shame to His name. We're praying in that context. There are, there are, there are a thousand ways to pray for this. But they all point to the priority of prayer, which is, Father, glorify Your name. Let Your kingdom come. May Your cause Your will to be done on earth even as it is in heaven. Our prayer life, quite frankly, needs to mature, to line up with this view. You know, His name will be glorified. He will vindicate the glory and greatness of His name. His kingdom will come. The nations will know that He is the Lord. But our prayers, God has decreed that our prayers will work to bring this to pass. So my admonition is pray, pray, pray. In as many ways and in as many words as you can think, Father, let Your name be hallowed. Let Your kingdom come. Let Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then to illustrate the fact that prayer is not simply a one-time event, or um, just a, 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 an aberration. Jesus tells this little parable. Look at it with me. Luke 11, 3 and 4. <clears throat> I'm sorry, 5 through 8. Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, 
Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you though, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Anybody think of a friend they've got that they could do this with? You can probably count them on one hand, right? I know I could do that with Craig. He'd jump up like he was bent up all night and say, sure, want some bread? But here's the scene. You go to your friend's house around midnight and you bang on his door and, and you ask for bread. Nobody's dying. It's not an emergency. He's just got somebody he needs to feed. Right? And he's banging on the door and until the poor guy who's asleep in the house tells him, quit bothering me. And, and it was at midnight. And in those days, midnight was really midnight. Um, they went to bed when the sun went down. And so this guy had been asleep a while. He wasn't a rich guy. Um, we know that because he says, my children are in bed with me. <laughs> How many have that experience? Yeah, Occasionally. Um, well, in that time, it probably meant it was a one-room house and everybody slept in the same bed. That would have been interesting. <clears throat> and it would have been impossible for him to get up without disturbing, you know, everybody. But Jesus says that while friendship was not a motivating factor, the fact that the guy kept knocking was the key. Well, what are we to make of this? Well, we're not to make. The point is not that God is a grumpy neighbor that you have to keep banging away at until He answers the door. That's, that's not the point. The point is that prayer, prayer requires relentless, persistent, shameless persistence. Prayer requires relentless and even shameless persistence. The point is we need to pray relentlessly, persistently, banging away. The disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray. And Jesus says, pray this way. The reason the guy finally gets up and gives his neighbor the bread is not because they're, friend, they're friends, not because they're close buddies, but because he won't quit. He won't give up. He wants bread and he's not going to go away without it and he doesn't care who he has to wake up to get it. The text says because of his impudence. The word really means persistent, shameless begging. <laughs> the man knocking has no shame about his request. And he keeps at it until he gets it. Do, do we approach the throne that way? Jesus is saying, pray, pray this way. It reminds me of that scene. Anyone ever seen What About Bob? He's at the bus stop. <laughs> and he's shouting at the top of his lungs for his psychiatrist. He won't shut up until he sees him. And it's, give me, give me, give me. I need, I need, I need. That's shameless. That's impudence. And Jesus says, pray this way. 
Built into this idea of praying shamelessly is the thought that we should be extremely persistent. Jesus goes on to say, And I tell you, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. To his admonition to pray shamelessly, Jesus says here, pray persistently. John Piper has a wonderful line about this. He says that persistence in prayer will often prevail where giving up won't. Persistence in prayer will prevail where giving up won't. I have a friend, his name is Keith. Keith and I grew up uh, young hellions together. And uh, we were always getting in all kinds of trouble, but he got in a lot more trouble than me. And um, he moved away at one point, and I can remember his mom coming to Tuesday night prayer meetings and praying for Keith. And, you know, I wanted to tell her after several years, just forget about it. He's gone. I mean, why, why do you bother? And she was shameless about it, praying for Keith. Well, Keith ended up getting in trouble with the DEA down in Mexico, went through a firefight, and ended up in the state prison in Florida. And his mom kept praying for him. And I thought, you're crazy. I'm done with Keith. You should be done with Keith. Well, God answered. (laughs) Today, Keith pastors a church down in Florida. Um, And God has been so gracious. But all, all I can think of is his mom, Pat, praying shamelessly, persistently, relentlessly for her son. That's persistence. That's shamelessness. Again, Jesus is not saying that God is a grumpy guy you have to bully into granting your request. He's saying that the nature of prayer is such that it requires persistent asking, seeking, and knocking. In other words, that's how God designed prayer should be. Don't ask me why. I didn't make this up. He's the one that wrote it down. 350 years ago, Thomas Watson, a Puritan pastor, essentially asked the question, why would God ever tell us to keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking when He could certainly respond sooner? And we all would want Him to respond sooner, right? Well, he gives, he gives four reasons. He thinks this is so. First of all, he says God loves to hear the voice of prayer. He delights in having His children talk to Him. You know, um, he, he, he doesn't want people who are like the guy who told his wife, I told you I loved you 25 years ago. Why do you have to hear it again? He delights in the prayers of His people. 
Secondly, Watson says that sometimes he doesn't answer us right away so that he might build humility into our lives. Anyone need that? He's, he's not our butler. And too many people pray this way. To God the butler. The third reason he gives is that we may not be fit or ready yet for the mercy we seek. The trial or test that we are under needs to run its course so that what God intends to accomplish might be perfected. And finally, he says that God may keep us asking, seeking, and knocking so that the mercy we seek may be the more prized and may be sweeter when it comes. I, I think Thomas was on to something there. The reason we know that Jesus didn't intend to leave us with the impression that God is a grumpy neighbor we have to bully into submission is that He moves from the relationship of neighbor to the relationship of a son. Look at those next verses, 11 and 12. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? What Jesus is saying here is that God is our Father. He didn't teach His disciples to pray, our friend who is in heaven. But rather, our Father who is in heaven. God is our Father. And we should pray secure in the knowledge that we're His sons and daughters and He loves us like sons and daughters and He longs to hear and answer our prayers. Think of that relationship. Think of your own children. Think of them <laughs> coming to you. Um, that's the picture Jesus is painting for His disciples. A father loves to hear his children ask. And though he may not give them what they want, he gives them what they need. He'll always give us, what's, give, give us what, is, what is best for us. In other words, essentially Jesus is saying, pray like a child. Pray like a child. You know, a father doesn't give what is evil or harmful or dangerous to his child, neither will God. If we ask for a fish, we can be sure we won't get a snake. If we ask for an egg, we can be sure we won't get a scorpion. And if you understand the way Jesus puts this, you begin to see that He's saying that sometimes children ask for things they shouldn't have. Fathers, good fathers, and God is the best father, always reserve the right to give what is best for their children. Even if the children don't understand why and ask for things that will hurt them. Let me put it another way. Our Father gives us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that He knew. Our Father gives us what we ask for if, he, if we knew what, what He already knows. 
you know, shortly after graduating from high school, Johnny Erickson, now Erickson Tata, dove into Chesapeake Bay, uh, a vibrant, healthy young woman, and emerged a quadriplegic. She went through really deep, dark times. Even at one point asking God to take her life. She asked her friends to help her commit suicide. And she prayed desperately that God would heal her or take her. And He did neither. Today, she's still a quadriplegic, but she has an incredible testimony of God's faithfulness and reality in her life. Today, millions of people worldwide know her through her books and her paintings, which, by the way, she paints with a paintbrush in her mouth. She prayed for healing, and God said, I'm not going to give you a snake. I'm going to give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything I know. I believe that our loving Heavenly Father hears and answers every prayer His children pray. It's just that the answer we get may not be the one we had in mind. I remember praying desperately in the middle of the desert up in Turkana that when our vehicle broke down in the middle of the night, that God would send someone to rescue us. And He did. Um, Unfortunately, um, this whole carload of people were drunk. Um, You know, it's at that point you realize I should have been more specific my prayer but you know what that was God's means to get us back to Lodwar Uh, why (laughs) I have no idea Uh, and yet he delights to answer the prayers of his children and then finally Jesus brings it home by saying if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will the heavenly father Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. This is incredible hope and security for every child of God. Jesus makes a comparison between sinful, evil human fathers and a pure, holy father and says, if evil fathers know how to give good gifts, how much more will your heavenly Father do that? How much more? This not only tells us that God indeed answers our prayers, but it's absurd to think that He would give anything but good gifts to His children. Prayer is inspired and sustained by the confidence that our Father in Heaven is more inclined to give what we need than the best earthly father could think of. And here Jesus says something we probably don't really expect. The answer to all of our prayers, the answer to our relentless and persistent appeals to heaven's throne is the Holy Spirit Himself. Did you notice that? How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? We should pray expecting that answer. 
And, and you're kind of scratching your head and saying, but I didn't pray for the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I prayed for money to make the rent this month. But Jesus doesn't tell us to pray for the Holy Spirit. He says that He gives the Holy Spirit in response to our prayers. Well, how does that help me? When I'm, I'm praying for tangible things, how does that help me when I pray for wisdom and strength and healing and funds to pay the bills and for my loved ones to come to Christ? How does that work? Well, it works like this. When you go to the Father for whatever you ask Him for, whatever it is, He gives the Holy Spirit in response to your asking. You ask for strength. He gives you the spirit of power. You ask for help. He gives you the helper. You ask for comfort. He gives you the comforter. You ask for wisdom. He gives you the spirit of wisdom. You ask for love and joy and peace and gentleness and self-control and goodness. He gives you the spirit whose fruit is released in your life. You ask for the gift. He gives you the giver. You ask for the effect. He gives you the cause. You ask for the product. He gives you the source. In the parallel passage on this in Matthew 7, it's recorded a little bit differently. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? Here it doesn't mention the Holy Spirit. It mentions good. Your Father in heaven will give you what is good. No doubt the Holy Spirit is ultimate good, but I think the Bible is saying much more there. If you turn to Romans chapter 8, verses 26-28, through 28, you get a picture of what this looks like, I think. In the same way, Paul says, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Paul says the Spirit helps us in our weakness and he has just outlined our weakness in the preceding verses. If you look at that, you'll see it has to do with our fallen condition. It has to do with the fact that all of creation is groaning under the futility <clears throat> to which it has been subjected in future hope of the revelation of the sons of God when it will be set free from the slavery of corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And Paul says that we groan right along with all creation, praying and waiting for that day when our bodies are redeemed. And then... He links that groaning with prayer. We do not, for we do not know how to pray. <laughs> okay? As we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. In other words, in our praying, the Holy Spirit Himself is praying. And what He's praying even in our praying, is all according to the will of God. That's how He helps us. But it's the content of His prayer that's crucial here. Paul says, we don't know how to pray as we should. 
Or we don't know what to pray. Ever been in that place? I, I don't even know how to pray. I don't know what I should pray. But he says, the Spirit is praying. We don't know the specific what to pray. But the Spirit is praying the specific what. The, the specific what that we, that we would have prayed had we known everything our Father knows. Because then he says that in response to the Spirit's praying, God causes all things to work together for good. That's why in Matthew, the Gospel writer could say, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? Look at this. God is pouring good into our lives in response to our prayers. The Holy Spirit is praying the specific what that works to bring about the good that God intends. So, what is that good that God intends and that the Holy Spirit is praying for? Well, verse 29 of chapter 8 tells us, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. I believe the giving of the Holy Spirit here in response to our prayers is a releasing of the power of the Holy Spirit to bring about all the good that God intends for us as His chosen, redeemed, justified, beloved children. That is, to conform us to the image of His Son. The more we look like Jesus, the more our Father's name is hallowed in heaven, the more His kingdom advances on the earth, and the more His will is realized in this life. Lord, teach us to pray. That's a prayer right there. Lord, teach us to pray. To pray relentlessly and shamelessly. To pray persistently, knowing that God delights, our Father delights in hearing and answering our prayers. Teach us, teach us Lord, to pray like a child, secure in the knowledge that You love us. And You're looking out to do good for us. And You'll always do what is best for us. Pray expecting the Holy Spirit to be released to bring about all the good that God intends. And make the focus of all your praying the glory of God and the hallowing of His name among the nations and the advance of His kingdom in the world. Lord, teach us to pray. In as many words, in a thousand ways, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's stand and pray. Our gracious God, our Father in heaven, we say, hallowed be Your name. May Your name be glorified in us and in the world. Magnify Your name through us. Father, we long to see You more 
hallowed, honored among us, in our church, in our city, in our nation, in the world. And we say magnify Your glory and Your worth in our midst. Let Your kingdom come. Take up Your kingly rule more and more fully over our church, our lives, our families to hasten the day of Christ's return. Lord, we ask that You meet our physical needs so that we can press on with joy in the work that You have called us to. Forgive us, Lord, where we've sinned and fallen short of Your glory. Keep us from entangling temptations that will trip us up or bring reproach on Your name. May we be those who cry to You day and night, shamelessly, relentlessly, asking, seeking, knocking on Heaven's door until Your kingdom comes and Your will is done, until Your name is glorified on earth as it is in Heaven, we pray. In the precious, powerful, and exalted name of Jesus. Amen.